Revealing Voices is a mental health podcast that is faith-based, peer-led, story-driven, and stigma-breaking. Host Tony Roberts and guest hosts with lived experience take you on a journey of revealing voices, working for justice, crying out for healing, speaking the truth in love, and expressing beauty in art. I'm Kevin Early Bird Early, technical producer and sound mixer, and I want to welcome you to Revealing Voices. Tony Roberts here, Chief Shepherd of Delight and Disorder Ministries. I'm shepherding a project through my blog at delightanddisorder.org. I have high hope it will culminate in a book with photos and letters entitled Hope for Troubled Minds, an anthology of letters between those with brain illnesses and our loved ones. Submit your letter written to your loved ones, first and second person grammar. Target date, March 1st, 2023. Send to me at tony at Indicate if you would be willing to read your letter for the audible version. I would appreciate your contributions of letters, your ongoing support, encouraging words, and your prayers. That's Tony Roberts, Tony at delightindisorder.org. Hello, this is Tony Roberts, and you're listening to Revealing Voices. I'm here with my co-host, Leona Satterberg. And we have as our guest this week, Sarah Griffith-Lund. Sarah has written three books, Blessed Are the Crazy, Blessed Union, and Blessed Youth. She's also pastor of First Christian Church in Indianapolis, Indiana, senior pastor. And what is your position with the denomination, Sarah? I'm the Minister for Disability and Mental Health Justice with the United Church of Christ. Okay, United Church of Christ. So your church is United Church of Christ. Yes. Okay, very good. So I'm going to start off with a question. You have written three blessed books so far. Blessed are the crazy, blessed union, and blessed youth. Is this a complete trilogy or part of a, an even larger work? I noticed some blog posts like Blessed are the Chaplains. What are your, what are you scheming? <laughs> <laughs> well, we also published with Chalice Press a Blessed Youth Survival Guide, which is a really exciting resource, really meant for children and teens. It's a little paperback that can fit your pocket or your backpack. And so that would kind of be a fourth Blessed book. Um, that book came about when I wrote Blessed Youth. It's really for the whole community to read and discuss how we can help children and teens with mental health. And when I was halfway through that book, the publisher said, what about a book for teens? And so together we put together this booklet and I'm really excited about it. It's been picked up by schools and community groups as a resource because there's a safety guide uh, that each child and teen can personalize a safety plan to help put at their fingertips all the support they need if they are a friend or having a mental health crisis. So I'm really excited. It's called the Blessed Youth Survival Guide. Nice. And these can be purchased at Chalice Press? Yes, they sell them. 
book yeah, outlets. Amazon, Chalice Press, but from Chalice Press, you can get them in packs of five. So they're mm -hmm. really great for youth groups and other community groups serving youth. Um, my son's in middle school and the social worker there took a bunch of them mm -hmm. and said it would be really helpful to her work. Great. Yeah, but I think there's yeah. something about the the blessed, the idea of, of blessedness when we're facing mental health challenges that can so often feel everything but blessed. <laughs> and I know as people of faith, there's still a lot of struggle about where is God in the midst of this hardship and pain and suffering. And so blessed is a way for me to remind myself and other people that God is with us. God is blessing us that this illness, this crisis isn't everything about who we are. There's more to who we are than our mental illness, that we are blessed children of God. So for me, that's just really at the core of this message of unconditional love and blessing mm. from God. Absolutely. So are there more to come? I'm discerning and praying. So I, I get moved by the spirit. God um, whispers in my heart, uh, Sarah, you know, this is something I want to share with the world through you. And so I'm really humbled and honored to be an instrument of God's work in the world through my writing. Well, I am new to your writings. I was introduced by Tony Roberts and so grateful. I'm currently about halfway through Blessed Union um, and really enjoying it. And I have to tell you, after reading Blessed Are the Crazy, my first question when I realized I was going to get to to talk with you is, how is your brother? Oh, thank you for asking. My brother, Scott, is a huge advocate for mental health very supportive of this ministry and really a partner with me in the work. And today he is doing awesome. He is continuing his recovery, uh, mental health therapy and medications and is in a, um, it's Facebook official. So I can tell you he's in a relationship with this amazing woman um, they met this summer and he is so um, content, you know, and really at peace with himself and in a good, good place. So it's just another example of how people with mental health conditions that are chronic and serious can thrive and flourish with support and love. Um, and so I celebrate that Scott is doing really, really well. That's amazing to hear. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and I know with my son uh, in his mental health recovery, his relationship uh, really made him stable in some ways. You know, it made him feel a little more normal, a little more part of the rest of the world. So congratulations to Scott. So you've done some conferences and workshops for marriage and mental health. What is one of your biggest concerns about the health of the family unit? Well, for marriage, what I found is it's still so tender and taboo. Those are the words I use, tender and tam taboo, talking about the intimacy um, between romantic partners who are in a committed relationship, whether you're partnered or married, but pledging to love someone in sickness and in health. It just doesn't cross our mind that the sickness would be a mental health illness. And the impact that certain disorders and diseases have on our well-being, our sense of 
sexuality. So intimacy is impacted a lot. And it's so hard to talk about that part of our relationships. And so when we've surveyed people interested in mental illness and marriage, one of the big topics people want help and want space to talk about is sex. And what happens to our romantic sense of intimacy when medications might impact our feeling of intimacy and, and how to kind of get through those rough times where we're committed to each other, to love each other, but we're not feeling the love and we're not feeling that intimacy that we long for. So how to sustain people through those periods. So we found that in marriages, there's a kind of a period of time where you discern as a couple, are we going to commit ourselves to working through this rough patch or is it time to end the marriage? Mm -hmm. And so we're finding there's folks kind of in the first few years of marriage that come to this topic. And then folks kind of been married 10, 10 plus years who've kind of been through that first season and have found the way to work through it. And so I think that's our hope with these conversations is that mm -hmm. if you are feeling called and committed to staying together, what are the resources we can provide people? Not everyone is called to stay together. Some marriages, um, it is the best to, to end that marriage. But for those of us who are in it for the long haul, you know, how can we offer hope and support and love and care uh, to marriages that day-to-day -day, you know, live with this reality? And for those who are listening, what are some of those resources? If you are in it for the long haul and you do want to have those conversations, it's probably a really uncomfortable conversation to maybe go to pastoral counseling about, but what are those resources? Where do they, where do they go? So we are finding that this is a new field of, of work. So it's very exciting. So for folks listening who are interested in this intersection of marriage and mental health, uh, some places you can go are Mental Health Strong, so that's some of my collaborating partners is a nonprofit that focuses on mental health and marriage. You can go to their website. The other is Fresh Hope. And they're starting to launch online support groups for couples. And I believe that's going to come out this summer. So those are two organizations I know are taking this on as a key area of ministry. Thank you. This question relates to your blessed youth book and survival guide. I love the title of one of your readings when they first came out, The Kids Are Not All Right, <laughs> alluding to, I think it was a Who song or something. Uh, but what is the one significant step we can take to improve the mental health of youth? So that's a great question. And Kids so much rely on the mental health of their care providers. And so what we find time and time again, that if children are being cared for by people who are unstable, who are uh, using substances, who are addicted, uh, who are depressed or, or just not stable in their mental health, that is going to impact the children in their lives significantly. And so the best and first thing we can do to care for the mental health of children and teens is to take care of our own mental health and to model for children and teens 
the value of mental health. So getting into counseling ourselves, getting evaluated if we need that, getting on medications and creating a home environment that talks about mental health and places high value on it. I love that. And I've seen that work in some of the support groups and family to family education classes. I've seen that families who just make mental health part of the conversation really do um, strengthen that opportunity for open conversation and communication among the family. So thank you for that. Um, While there's division in the church on issues of sexuality, what do you see as the urgency of the gospel with regard to the LGBTQ community and mental health? Um, I think this idea of do no harm is something we can all agree on. We do not want to cause harm to vulnerable people. And so as faith leaders and um, as, as Christians who maybe have different interpretations when it comes to that, um, I hope that we all can agree that we want to do no harm to children and teens. And so sending messages of unconditional love is critical and having safe places for children and teens to go who do have questions and who do need support and referring to experts and knowing uh, what are the limitations of, of our area. So if there is a teen or, or youth who expresses they have questions and are exploring their, their identities, to refer them to a counselor who is trained in how to work with teens who are you know, thinking about those things. And as faith leaders to continue to preach a gospel of unconditional love and acceptance. I love that. So important right now. Leona and I were discussing before we came on about some of our own personal items in the past and ways as pastors and faith leaders, we've made mistakes about uh, either sharing too much or not sharing enough in our ministry. So the question is, how can pastors and faith leaders be authentic about their own mental health challenges without jeopardizing their leadership role and congregational respect? How much is appropriate? Nadia Boltzweber is a Lutheran minister working out of Denver, Colorado. And I, I heard the quote from her. She says, to share from your scars and not from your wounds. And so um, I really like that. And so a lot of us carry scars uh, from situations, events that have happened to us that we have uh, been on a healing journey. And so there's so much wisdom to that in humility. And so for clergy to tell the story, to give testimony to where God has been on their journeys and where there was pain and suffering and how God showed up to bring hope and healing from that space. Um, mm-hmm. I, I love it when we can be authentic and vulnerable and share from this place and to show our scars that we are human, just like everyone. And at the same time, we are wounded. So I have wounds. And where do I go to share my wounds? I go to my therapist. I was just in therapy yesterday and I need some extra support right now. So I'm going next week as well. And that is a safe container for my wounds to be tended to. Once they become scars, then there's more that I can share with other people that is healthy and won't cause secondary trauma uh, to folks that I'm 
trying to serve. I love that. I love that quote. I'm going to steal it. <laughs> um, but, you know, I also appreciate Sarah so much um, when faith leaders and you just did it yourself say, I'm in therapy. I'm getting help. I'm addressing this because it does take the stigma out of it. And it's healthy, right, to say, I have something that I'm going through and I'm addressing it. I'm not just sticking it on the back burner or putting it in a box and setting it aside. I think it kind of leads right into our next question, which is, you know, in your own experience, what is the biggest challenge in engaging church leaders in that mental health conversation or activities with their congregations? I would say the stigma is still the greatest challenge. And my congregation, for example, has a mental health ministry. We voted to be a wise church for mental health, welcoming, inclusive, supportive, and engaged. We have a weekly spiritual support group for mental health that we do on Zoom for an hour. It's a sacred time of sharing stories and praying for each other. And still, even in a church like mine, there is stigma. There's this idea that mental health ministry are for those people. It's for other people who have these big problems. And so it's the stigma that says, I'm good. I don't have mental health. And it's uh, the work of the spirit and of God and of us in ministry to dismantle that, that stigma that makes it an us and them instead of realizing that mental health is health. We all have mental health. And I, it's okay and it's good. And sometimes our mental health is um, on that spectrum of having, you know, a lot of folks now have seasonal affective disorder and that's okay. It's okay to talk about that and name that. Um, and so I would say stigma still is a barrier that self stigma that doesn't want to uh, acknowledge uh, where a person is at. And I think research confirms that it can take up to six years between the beginning of symptoms until someone actually gets into treatment. And I think that has a lot to do with the stigma and shame. So how do we, as, as listeners today, as leaders in this field or people who are interested in this field, how do we engage our church leaders? How do we help them break that stigma? What, what are some active things we can do? Well, storytelling is huge and preaching about mental health is huge. I, I love to say, you know, read the Bible through the lens of mental health and you will be surprised by how often there are references to us, to someone feeling despair, feeling distance from God, feeling abandoned by God, being scared, being anxious. And so uh, to preach about mental health is a big thing. And then we have so many great partners like Mental Health First Aid, bringing them in and doing an eight-hour training so that folks are trained on mental health first aid. Uh, mental health is already there in the pews. Um, people are dealing with it every day. And it's a really a great um, outreach opportunity to the wider community to say we're a church that cares about mental health, that this is a place to come. Our church just worked a contract with NAMI to donate space. I'm so excited. We're going to do their family to family support groups at our church. And so for me, it's about vibrant ministry. It's about sharing God's love. And there's so much need right now. It's an exciting place to focus 
um, our interest and our resources. Sarah, I know in pastoral ministry, from my experience in the past, it can be difficult to delineate what is personal and what is public. I lived at uh, a manse once where people literally could drive from the church through the circle drive and see what we had for dinner. Oh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, how, how did you process this personal and public uh, with respect to recent health concerns, and I'm I feel safe bringing this up because, as you say, it's Facebook prepared. But you had a a medical scare this this past year or so, right? How was that process for you? Well, it's it was such a gift that our church is a wise church for mental health, and they they know my journey and my story, and I can be very real and vulnerable with them. And when I became a pastor again, I was a pastor and then an administrator and worked at the seminary as a vice president. And during that time, I felt my heart calling me to be a pastor again. And I'll never forget talking to the search committee and saying, you know, I want to be a, a pastor and, and love the people. And I want the people to love me as their pastor. So I was really looking for this sense of community where a pastor serves and loves and then is open to how God can love the pastor, that I'm part of them. And so I was very intentional that in this ministry, I was going to be open to how, as a pastor, how we could have a mutual relationship. And so this church has been so great about that. So when we had my medical scare, um, I just said to the church, I said, I need prayer. <laughs> you know, this is what I'm going through. I'm going to have surgery. I need a medical leave. And would you bring us food? And so for three weeks, they rotated different folks bringing us food. They made a prayer shawl. So the Sunday before the surgery, I was given this prayer shawl and they prayed over me. It was so beautiful. And that was a new experience for me to be vulnerable and to say, you know, as your pastor, I need prayer too. I need God. I need the church. And I am just so blessed uh, that they surrounded me and my family in so much love because we were open to it. Uh -huh. I think it's such an incredible thing that you model that as a leader right, as a pastor to say, I need this. And I think that for so many, it's such an important thing to, to see that happening, because as we see it, then we can imitate it, right, even if we can't feel it yet. So I, I just love that you have that courage to model that for your congregation and say, I need meals. I mean, we, we see it all the time, pastors saying, you know, so-and-so is having surgery and they're going to need meals, but to say, I need it, uh, models a different kind of authenticity that you were talking about. And what a beautiful, beautiful thing. It was wonderful. It really uh, brought us closer together. And I have to say, when I came back into ministry after my leave, I, I ran into a member of the church and he said, now you know what a lot of us have been through with our surgeries. And so it really, it really brought us closer because I had a lived experience 
of recovering from surgery. And they mm-hmm. felt that I could be a better pastor in a way because I could understand more and have more empathy about what they had been through. Right. You shared their experience. I love that. You know, in your book and on your website, you say faith is not an antidepressant. It cannot be swallowed in order to rewire our brains for happiness. And you share more about that throughout your writings. What I was was kind of questioning is what inspired you to take that particular phrase and put it in the most prominent space on your website? Because, you know, there's so much marketing information and sharing, but that you put that particular phrase in such a prominent space on your website. I'm hoping this will, you know, encourage people to go look at your website and see so much of what you're doing, but tell us about that. Uh, Thank you. I think that gets to dismantling the stigma and shame, especially for Christians who do live with chronic depression or lifelong depression. Like in my book, Blessed Union, I talk about my husband who has a major depressive disorder and what is so sad is that sometimes for people of faith, there's this sense of shame as a Christian that if only I was a more faithful Christian, then I would not have depression. And it it even creeps up in my husband who was raised in a church tradition where he struggles to think, is God punishing me? Did I do something wrong to deserve this kind of mental suffering. And so I wanted to try to challenge us to say, we can be faithful, we can love Jesus, we can read our Bible, we can pray. And even though we're doing all the right and good and faithful things, we still live with major depressive disorder. And so to say you can have faith, but it won't necessarily cure you of major depression, Uh, God can use prayer and Bible study and church to help, but also God's given us science and therapists, medications. And so maybe swallowing an antidepressant is going to get you a little closer to a feeling of wellness than only faith by itself. You know, I had a got to listen to Dr. Stanford's first podcast this week on madness and grace. And he talked about what kind of catapulted him into this arena of faith and mental health. And he shares that it was specifically this kind of situation where a very close friend of their family was told by someone in the church that she just didn't have enough faith. And that's why she had this mental health disorder, depression, I believe it was. And so I think it's so important that you took the time to, like you said, put it in a place that would maybe cause people to think about it and dismantle that stigma, because the church really is a place for healing and not hurting. And so I'm so grateful for that. I want to add that as a family support group facilitator, I've been a family educator with NAMI for 15 years, and I'm often asked by families how to connect or, or reconnect with their family member who's experiencing mental health issues and has just kind of stopped all communication. And I've given lots of different suggestions, but I'd love to hear, how would you respond to that? Boy, I have been there. So that really resonates with my experiences. And I come back to the serenity prayer and this this sense of, you know, what are the things that we have the power to do and, and what can we change? What's our agency here? What's our role? 
And so if we desire to be in relationship to someone, but for some reason they aren't able to return it, there's a lot of hurt. You know, that can feel like rejection. It can be very discouraging. And so that's where I think prayer and faith are very helpful because we can say, you know, this person isn't responding to your outreach and we can still pray for them. And that is doing something. That's something we have the power to do. We can still text and say, I'm thinking of you. I love you. And so I feel for people in that situation. And I also believe that God knows our heart and that sending love and good intention and prayers to those we are concerned and care about is very powerful. And to not give up hope that there is still a possibility for reconnection. Thank you. You've clearly outlined a method, I think, of peace and hope for anyone facing what seems at the time to be hopeless situations. I want to thank you for coming on board with us. You came to us at this interview from a staff meeting, so and you were full of grace and peace. So I'm grateful that you can transition so well. And this is Reverend Dr. Sarah Griffith Lund, and she will be, her website is Sarah Griffith Lund, or uh, what is your website? Yes, www.sarahgriffithlund.com. And uh, her books are the uh, Blessed, are the Crazy, Blessed Union, Blessed Youth, and Blessed Youth Survival Guide, right? Yes. And you can get it from Chalice Press or other book outlets like Amazon. Thank you very much, Sarah and Leona. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Leona. It was wonderful to be in conversation today. I appreciate all that you all do. Thank you. Revealing Voices is an outreach of Delight and Disorder Ministries whose mission is to inspire and inform those with brain illnesses and our loved ones. In the process, we hope to encourage and uplift you with hope that can be healing. If you think we are accomplishing our goal, we would be delighted if you gave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you would like to recommend guests or topics for future shows, contact us at our website, Revealing Voices. Dot com. Be blessed and be well.